0: One way I trust in God, even when I can't really see his promises at the moment, is I try to look towards other people, like my friends and my family, to kind of see how he's working in their lives and know that he's still there. Or I look back in my journals from when I freeze and fuel and just see how he was working in my life then. That way I know he's still with me. Good morning. You ever asked that question? Like, how do I keep believing when it seems like God's promises aren't necessarily coming true? I'm guessing we all have, right? Those moments where we're like, ah, I, I know the promise, but it doesn't seem like it's coming true. This morning, we're going to be jumping in. We're going to be continuing our conversation through Hebrews, and we're in the second half of Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith. How many of you guys have ever been to a Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame? Music. Football, basketball, baseball. We got the privilege of going to the Baseball Hall of Fame this summer. And um, as cool as it was, one of the things that maybe you're different than me, that's the only Hall of Fame I've been to, but the one thing I didn't leave that Hall of Fame believing was that I could be a Hall of Famer. (laughs) Right, you go and you see all these players, you see all this history and you go, yep, that's them and this is me. Not going to be there. The Hall of Faith... It's not designed to create distance between us and these heroes of the faith, these people that are being named. It's designed actually to level the playing field, to bring us in, to say, hey, just like they had faith in God, you can too. It's not designed to distance. It's designed to draw us in. You see, the hall of faith lists all of these people in the faith. But I think there's an interesting, when you say hall of faith, a lot of times, even if you're not that familiar with the book of Hebrews, you'd know that, hey, yeah, there's a chapter in the book of Hebrews where it talks about all of these people who had faith. But sometimes, just like this passage, and I think other popular passages, we don't necessarily understand the context in which it sits. Like if I tell you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how would you describe that, that chapter? It's the love chapter. If I ask you to give me let me know what 1st Corinthians 12 or 1st Corinthians 14 is about, you they just like I would probably struggle. Right, but the reality is 1st Corinthians 13 isn't some poetic uh, love chapter for no reason. It's in the middle of two actually very difficult chapters about the body of Christ coming together, people using their gifts, people working together and God being glorified. Same with Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 isn't written just so we would know these good stories of the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 in some ways is a pause in the middle of the book of Hebrews where it's talking all about Jesus to say, hey, remember all of these people who had faith. You see, back in Hebrews chapter 10, we talked about before that Hebrews is structured around really five warnings. Five warnings to believers who are having a tendency to drift away. There's a pull. There's a a drifting away from the, the faith, away from Jesus. As persecution increases, as struggles increase, as doubts raise around, is this really true? So back in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the warning that is given there is, hey, don't drift away from Jesus. If you have once believed him, don't drift away or think like, ah, maybe I'll just go back to Judaism saying, hold fast. Actually, there's this theme within Hebrews chapter 10 that's around endurance. And there's a theme when we get to Hebrews chapter 12 that's around endurance. And so what's a key to Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12 is actually Hebrews chapter 11, which is giving us a reminder of what it looks like to have endurance through faith. So this morning, I want to pick up on the second half of Hebrews chapter 11. Craig started us last week, talked about how faith is the assurance of things Hope for the conviction of things not seen. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 6 is without faith. It's impossible to please God. Really important. If we say if it's impossible to please God and we want to please God, we cannot move past faith. And so this morning as we pick up the story in verse 30, I want to point to two stories. And then I want to look at two outcomes that are the result of faith that we find here in chapter 11. So, if every you bible's flip over to chapter 11 verse 30 it says by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for 7 days by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies two stories two simple sentences you might have noticed Um, Up until this point, he's given a little more background, a little more context, a little more details around the characters that the author is referencing. Here, it's simply going, hey, walls of Jericho fell down and Rahab was saved. Which is interesting because I think what the author of Hebrews is reminding us of is the stories of our faith, the Old Testament stories are incredibly powerful when it comes to us being strengthened in our faith. And so his assumption is, that the readers would know these stories that he's referencing really quickly. And in these two stories, he gives us two really important things to understand when it comes to faith, starting with Jericho. Jericho, they're coming into the city. It's a fortified city, and God gives Joshua plans. They look like this. It says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up. Everyone straight before him. Now we know the story, right? What happens? They march around Jericho on one day, and day two, and day three, all the way up to day seven. They march seven times. They blow the trumpets, and what happens? The walls come tumbling down. Now, step back for a second. Think about Joshua. He's stepping into the shoes of Moses, and he's God's brought them across the Jordan River, part of the Jordan River, and that's pretty cool. And he's going, okay, now what, God? How are we going to take this land? A land that was so formidable that, remember, 40 years ago, the spies went, spied it out and said, not a chance. We can't take it. So here we are doing what Moses couldn't even get the people to do. So God, I really would love a good battle strategy that we can follow that can take us into the land. Now, it'd be one thing if God announced over the loudspeaker to everyone, this is how we're going to take Jericho. Do you notice God talked to Joshua and then told Joshua to tell the others? Can you imagine going into that battle strategy meeting? All right, so here's the deal. We're marching. Great. And then doing what? Uh, we're going to do it again. Where are we going? Well, we're just going to go around the, around the city. For seven days? For seven days. And then we're going to do it seven times. And then we're going to shout, and that's going to be the key to victory. What we see in this example, the author of Hebrews gives us, points to Jericho for an important reason. Our faith is connected to our obedience. Think about it. Did God need the people to march around Jericho in order for the walls to fall down? No. God asked the people to walk around the city seven times, seven days, and then seven times. For what purpose? So that it was abundantly clear that the reason the walls came down was not the people, but the God of the people. How did people know that the God of the people brought the walls down? Because of the people's obedience. Our obedience in faith opens up opportunities where God is glorified. Faith isn't us just sitting It isn't the people sitting outside the walls of Jericho having faith that the walls will come down. Sometimes faith works like that, sometimes it doesn't. Here we get a picture of how obedience intersects with God's power. Our obedience is not what's powerful. It's God's power that's powerful. God brought the walls down, but he brought the walls down through their obedience, which resulted in God's glory. Now look at the second story that we have here. Another, just one sentence points to who? Points to Rahab. Rahab is in the city and she sees what everyone else sees, but her response is different. She has a response of faith. It says this, before the men lay down, these are the spies that came into the city. They come into the city, they find Rahab. Rahab pulls them into her house. The whole city is looking for these spies because they know that they're there to spy out the land. Rahab hides them. And that night she goes uh, up before the men lay down. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. This is what I love. When did that happen? Like over 40 years ago. That's when they came out of Egypt. And then they didn't come into the promised land. They wandered the desert for 40 years. Over 40, remember that thing that happened over 40 years ago? Yeah, we're still talking about it. Because we know that's your God and you are still his people So we're talking about that and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Now, what's the connection between the walls of Jericho falling down and Rahab? The walls of Jericho fall down, it is a demonstration of God's power that's evidenced through the people's obedience. But Rahab has no clear direction from God. God didn't appear to Rahab and say, hey, when these two guys walk by, grab them, pull them into your house, protect them, save them, and then I'll save you. Obey me. You see, Rahab saw something. She heard and she understood this God of these people and what he was doing and that the fact that this people and their God was the God. She saw the same thing everyone else in the city, everyone else in the city who was terrified saw. Her response, though, was action. She took a risk based on what she believed. What was the risk? The risk was to put herself out there, to help these guys, and then do what? To say, hey, would you please save me? Think about it. We know how the story ends. She is the only person in the city of Jericho, her and her family, who are saved. What we don't recognize is in the moment when she's saying, please save me, there's just as likely a chance that these spies will kill her on her way out to make sure she doesn't tell anyone about them. Her faith in the face of uncertainty and incredible risk once again demonstrates God's power. Because today, as we're reading this, and the author of Hebrews writes this, what does he know about Rahab? He knows that Rahab also shows up in our Bibles in Matthew chapter one because Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. Did Rahab do that or did God do that? God did, but what did he use? He used Rahab's faith. The people of Israel obey by faith and God's power is evidenced. Rahab responds in faith. And God's story is continued through her. So my question this morning for you is, which story do you connect most with? What does faith look like in your life today? Is it one of following direction that God has given? Maybe it's it's even very mundane direction. Maybe it's very ordinary direction. Maybe you've even wondered around lap seven if it even makes sense for you to continue doing what God has told you to do. Does faith look like obedience in your world today? Or maybe faith looks like Rahab. It looks like based on what you know about God, based on what you believe about who God is, God is inviting you to take a risk. God is inviting you to step out in faith. I don't know which one resonates with you this morning, but I'm guessing you can fall in one of those two camps. And my encouragement to us this morning is that we obey by faith, Trusting in God's power. We step out in faith in response to who God is. You see, when I think about faith, I think about a old playground apparatus. What do you think of when you see these? I mean, maybe a little bit of a groan. Maybe a memory of where you fell off one of these. Maybe where someone played the joke on you by jumping off of one of these. (laughs) Right, maybe you ride something like this. As I thought about faith and I thought about this idea of God's power and our obedience and how they work together. I thought about a seesaw. I thought about it like this. Our faith sits at the middle. God says, the only way to please me is to live by faith. Faith. But in living by faith, there's two factors at play. Our obedience and God's power. We cannot lean too much on our obedience thinking that somehow our obedience is actually replaces God's power. Because it's not. God doesn't need our obedience, but God uses our obedience. And we're going to see that later when he talks about those who suffer for their faith. But faith is challenging and it dips and dives. And there's moments where we see God's power and there's moments where we see God's, our, our, simply our obedience, wondering if God's power will come through. If faith was easy, I don't think we'd have Hebrews chapter 11. Let's keep going. In verse 32, he is gonna continue the story that he's been writing, where he's been chrono- going through the, Old Testament. He's been chronicling the history of the Jewish people. And he says this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, Love it. He goes, I'm kind of running out of time. So I'm going to speed this up. I'm just going to start listing some names. I was listed some longer stories. Then I listed some one sentence stories. Now I'm just listing names because I recognize that you will know the stories associated with these names. And what does he do? He lists six names here. Four of which are judges. The judges are Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. One king, which is David, representative of the king of Israel. And then one prophet connected with the other prophets. What the author of Hebrews is doing is he's drawing really three categories, three periods of Jewish history. The period of the judges, period of the kings, and then he's pointing to the prophets. And in representative of these three categories of people, he then walks through all that faith has accomplished. And what I love about this is that, the stories, the names that he mentions here, let's be honest, if you and I were to go through the Old Testament and say, pick out who you think makes the hall of faith, there are names that, these are, many of these are names that wouldn't get there. Evidenced by the one who he puts first, Gideon. He doesn't list these chronologically. He lists Gideon actually in front. And I think it's because his story would have been one of the most well-known of these judges. But I love him going first because it's a reminder that what God's after is not perfect faith. Because if that were the case, Gideon would be eliminated. Real quickly, let's just look at his story. His story picks up in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, an angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and uh, talks to him, tells him, he, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to save God's people. Yeah, actually, I'm going to use you to save God's people. And Gideon says to him, look at this response. This is just like such an epic faith response. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, have you ever used that phrase? (laughs) God, I know what you've done. I know the stories. I'm struggling to believe them because now all of that's not happening. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of God. Of Midian. Now, the angel of the Lord has just shown up and he said, hey, we're, God's about to do something. And what does Gideon do? He goes, I'm not believing it because he hasn't done it. And if it gets better from there, he, he then gives a response. And he says, um, well, actually, God's going to use you. His response to that, not exactly a faithful, faith-filled response, He says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now, then the angel says, okay, rough crowd. And Gideon says, maybe you can give me a sign. And so he goes in, and he makes a meal, and he comes out, and the angel says, hey, pour out your meal. He touches the meal that Gideon's made, and it just bursts into flames, like with his staff. Gideon's like, uh, ah, okay. Well, then the Lord comes to him later that night and says, hey, I want you to do something. I want you to take out the um, altar to Baal and I want to take you out this Asherah pole. And I want you to build an altar and offer uh, an ox on it for me. And this response in 27 is once again, not exactly the most faithful response. What does Gideon do? So Gideon took the 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. You're going, finally, he's learning. But because he was too afraid, not full of faith, of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, those are just the first three. instances. we don't have time to go into. Then he put one fleece out and he said, hey, God, put, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then the next day he said, let's flip it around. This is not an example of somebody that you would say like, yeah, pencil him in for the hall of faith. But what's here is incredibly encouraging. Because this is is who's in the Hall of Faith. Which means there's something about Gideon's faith that should be encouraging to us. And just like I said, when I went through the Baseball Hall of Fame, I was not inspired to believe that I would ever one day be in the Hall of Fame. The reason Gideon is in the Hall of Faith is because I believe God is reminding us, hey, I use ordinary, everyday people. And I'm not asking you to have perfect faith. I'm asking you to have faith and I'm okay that faith will ebb and flow. I get that, but it is faith that pleases me. So would you simply be people of faith? Would you simply trust me even when it doesn't make sense? Even when you have every reason to be afraid, even when you have every excuse in the book, would you simply have faith? The author points to Gideon, also points to Barak. Barak is a a judge who wouldn't go into battle without Deborah. Samson is a guy that, man, we can list more of his faults than his strengths. Jephthah is a guy that went into battle, was actually run off by his own family because of his lineage, because his mom was a prostitute and sent off. And then they actually said, hey, actually, we made it messed up. We need you to come back. We need you to help save us. And he went into battle and he was even in the battle negotiating with God. Like, hey, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. These are not guys that pop out and go, yes, these are heroes of our faith. But what I believe that tells us more about is not about God. It tells us a whole lot more about us. We believe that God wants perfect faith. But nowhere in scripture does he use perfect people. He wants faith and he recognizes that faith is hard in the midst of the world we're living in. You see, faith is not a formula to receive blessing. It's a posture and perspective that glorifies God. That's why our obedience connected with his power are made evident through our faith. Well, he lists these names and we don't have time to go in all of them, but you can do a deep dive study of those this this week. Great stories on all those. But then he lists a long list. It says, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Actually, this seems like a long list. And honestly, that seems very disconnected from our world. Because so that seems very epic. Well, if you look at this, there's actually nine things he's pointing to, which I broke into three different categories. All the words there that it's just breaking up that passage those couple verses and what are the categories we have achievements that faith brought we have deliverance that faith provided and we have blessings that faith gave ultimately we have faith conquering death if so to say hey all these things are good but ultimately faith is so powerful and even ha- death can't stand in the face of faith now once again This seems disconnected from my world because the question I ask and I've been asking when it comes to faith is what do I hope faith will do for me? If I have faith, what could I get? If I have faith, what will God do? And really, if we take those three or four categories and we distill them down even more, we go, hey, really? When I think about faith, maybe you do too. At the core of what I hope faith will do for me, I hope it'll achieve something. I hope it'll deliver something. I hope it'll bless in some way and I hope it'll conquer something that's in the way. What about you? Because this is what it says faith will do. It says faith will do these things. Faith has done these things. But the better question is what does God want faith to accomplish in and through me? Yes, the story of faith is that these things have been done, but the greater question is what does faith do in the people through which God's working? What did faith do in the people of Israel when they walked around the walls of Jericho? What did faith do in and through Rahab when she trusted and believed and took that risk? What does faith do in the lives of all of these people we've just read about? You see, Hebrews chapter 11 ends and it pivots on this verse 35. We read the first half of 35, but the second half of 35 is essential if we are to understand and walk by faith because it gives us the full picture. It's the other side of the same coin but it's not a side that we really like to talk about because here it talks about the other side of faith, the other outcome of faith. Yes, there are the outcome of triumphs. There are also the outcome of faith that are apparent defeats. It says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Time out. Like I was really good until we got to the second half of verse 35. Like that, yes, that's what faith does. Faith conquers, faith achieves, faith blesses, faith wins. Wait a second, this seems like a description of faith losing. Like, why would we have faith? There certainly must have been something wrong with these people's faith that led to these outcomes. But the reality is we don't get that in these verses. It's not a matter of something being wrong with these people. It's not something, a lack of faith. It's the reality is that faith sometimes leads to victories and faith sometimes leads to what seems like defeats. You see, I come back to our faith seesaw. And this time, we've got obvious triumphs and we've got apparent defeats. And it's not based on your faith. Nowhere in scripture do we find that somebody has something bad happen because they didn't have enough faith. That's just bad theology. To say that you will be healed if you have more faith doesn't jive with these verses in Hebrews chapter 11, which says, hey, people had incredible faith in what happened. They died, and this is what's crazy. If you look further back in verse 30, 33, this evidence is so clear. The difference, the faith is the same. The outcome is different. Here in verse 34, it says, escape the edge of the sword. In verse 35 or verse 36, it talks about being, or 37, they were killed by the sword. Somebody has faith and they escape the sword. Someone else has faith and they are killed by the sword. Is that because of a lack of faith? That's not what we find here. There are two outcomes to faith. Sometimes faith rescues and sometimes faith doesn't. That is a hard truth to grasp, but here's the deal. I think it's an incredibly beautiful gift. Because if these verses are not here, you and I are led to believe that any hardship, any challenge, any struggle, any pain, heartache that we experience is a result of our lack of faith. The fact that these are here says that if you are experiencing this outcome of faith, it is not based on your lack of faith. The question is, in the midst of that, can we still have faith In a good God. Back to our question we started with today. What do you do? What do you do when it seems like the promises that God has made are not coming true? That's what these people would have said. You see, there's a little phrase you may have seen. It just is an extra clause in this statement in verse 38. It describes these people. It says, Those of whom the world was not worthy. Those who've experienced this, the author of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy. Meaning the suffering of those people of faith is actually a gift. It is a gift to the world that the world is not worthy of. It's a gift that God is giving the world to say, hey, it is through the suffering of my servants, those who are faithful to me, that you see most clearly a faithful God. Now, you're not worthy. The world's not worthy of having these heroes of the faith among them. But I'm giving them to you anyway because I want you, an unbelieving world, to see me. And how does an unbelieving world see me? They see me through people's obedience connected with God's power. And sometimes that looks like deliverance and sometimes that doesn't. But those who suffer for their faith, those who suffer in their faith, those who are faithful despite suffering is a gift to an unbelieving world, a gift that the world is not worthy of. You see, the hall of faith wraps up, it wraps up with 39 and 40. This is a beautiful bookend to all that the author has been telling us. It says, in all these, though commended through their faith. Every single one of these people, the ones that seem to be the anchors of our faith, the ones that seem to waver in their faith, the one who were victorious in their faith, and the ones who seem to have lost as a result of their faith are commended through their faith. It's a reference back to what, the author says, when f- without faith, it's impossible to please God. These people, these people that are described here were people that lived lives that pleased God. Were they perfect? No. But God was pleased by their faith. And I love this. And it says, but they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised. Because what was promised was coming And at that point, all these people were looking towards Jesus. They were looking towards the Messiah. They were looking towards Jesus, God's future salvation. And Jesus hadn't come. And now the author of Hebrews, when he started the whole letter of Hebrews, he talked about the past days and he talked about these last days. And what defined these last days was that God has come himself. Jesus has here. So part of the promise has been given. Jesus has come. Part of that promise was in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. I love this. The word provided can also be translated planned or can be translated foreseen. Meaning God had foreseen, God had planned something better. And when we're talking about faith, we're talking about triumphs and we're talking about apparent defeats. One of the greatest things we have to stand on is that our God has a plan. God hasn't been caught off guard. He's not building the plane midair trying to figure out how he's going to land it. He has a plan and has had a plan from the beginning. He's been working his plan and he's been using our obedience to point to his power, which is to give him glory and for people to come into a relationship with him. His plan is working. His plan will not be stopped so that at the end of verse 40, it says that apart from us, they should not be made Perfect. this is an interesting line because it says apart from us they should not be made perfect which you say well all of these heroes of the faith everyone listed in Hebrews chapter 11 has died so they've, they've gotten it right they've received it and the author of Hebrews goes ah not so fast they haven't ultimately received it because guess what God's ultimate promise God's ultimate plan the ending of the story hasn't yet come are they with God yes But guess what? They're waiting on us. They're waiting on the resurrection because the resurrection happens and we are no longer, those who have gone before us are not no longer in spirit form. They're now in bodily form as we get new bodies. God has a new heaven and a new earth and he brings everything together and he goes, now this is the ending of the story. So just like every single one of these people has died without seeing the full ending of the story, but living by faith, hoping for what God would do, you and I now find ourselves in this story further along, having received something better because we have Jesus now, but at the same time, looking to the ending in the hope that God is writing the end of the story. But the challenge for me personally this week has been this. I read this, I sit in this, I believe this. But at the end of the day, I go, what do I do with this? Because if I'm honest, I'd rather live in the triumphs or the defeats. Because it just feels more epic. It feels more clear. It feels more obvious. It feels more exciting. Like I want to do something big. Or I want to I want to. Suffer greatly and know that it's for God. It's the in-between that almost all of us find ourselves in. What does it look like to walk by faith here? What does it look like to follow in the footsteps of these, those who have gone before us and be found faithful as well? As I'm sitting in this going, God, my life, so oftentimes, it just seems like one little thing after another thing. And like, does this connect to that? Or is this really matter? And is this making an impact? And well, what what's around the next corner? And God's saying, would you simply be faithful today? Would you simply live by faith today? As I was sitting in this, I was wondering like, well, there's just, what's, what's the answer? Like, what do we do with Hebrews chapter 11? I realized there's there's somebody missing from Hebrews chapter 11. There's a name that's not mentioned. It's the name of Jesus. Christ is mentioned one time in connection to Moses, but Jesus isn't mentioned here. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referenced directly and indirectly 180 times. That's like 14 times per chapter, even higher when you take out the fact he's not in Hebrews chapter 11. So, Hebrews 11 is not the focal point. Hebrews 11 is an example of those to follow, examples that should encourage us. But our focus has to be on the name that isn't even here. Where is he? He's in the next verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, This is our response. This is how we do it. This is what it looks like for us to be faithful. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Looking to the past heroes of our faith, looking to the Old Testament stories, looking to the apostles, looking, no. Those guys are all good encouragement for us, but our focus has to be where? It's on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of what? our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God that is where our focus must be that is what it looks like to walk this out to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance endurance you don't you don't need endurance for a sprint You need endurance because life is long. The journey is hard. You need endurance to keep going because you want to stop. How do we do that? By setting our focus on Jesus. As we walk out these verses, our cry in light of Hebrews 11 is that God would do it again. These aren't times he worked in the past and let's just remember that. It's a reminder that he's at work today and one of the ways he's at work is through our obedience as we walk by faith. Would he show up in power again? Would he transform ordinary people into giants of faith again? Would he do a work of faith in his people as we look forward to a day of perfection, of resurrection? As dangerous as it may be, I want to get on the seesaw of faith, and I'm willing to ride up and down on the apparent triumphs and apparent defeats, trusting because my faith isn't resting in the outcomes of today or tomorrow. My faith is resting in the promise of our God, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we end our time this morning, maybe you want to just sit, maybe you want to sing, maybe you want to celebrate communion in the corners by coming before a faithful God and thanking him for making a way for you to have faith in him. Or maybe you're in a space where you're going, man, I'm on the other side of faith, where, man, it's incredibly, it's it's suffocating what I'm facing and what I'm enduring and what I'm walking through. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. There'll be folks over here by the stairs that would love to just pray with you at this time. But for all of us, let's ask God the better question. God, what do you want faith to do in and through me for your glory today? Let's pray. Father, thankful for this morning. Thankful for your word. Thankful for the hall of faith. Thankful for those who have gone before us. God, for what has been accomplished through their obedience in your power. God, thankful for the imperfection of the people that you have listed throughout the pages of scripture that remind us that you're not looking for perfect people You're looking for a people of faith. So God, give us strength. Give us courage to walk by faith today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.